We're going to be in Psalm 51 this morning. Uh, we're going, th- if you're new or visiting, we're going through the book of Psalms. And you'll think, well, wait a minute, we did, we didn't do Psalm 50. Now I'm skipping ahead one Psalm because it fits the ending and beginning of a new year. And then we'll go back and do Psalm 50 next week. Father, we just thank you and praise you for this morning. And we know, uh, according to your word, that you have a plan and a purpose. That we're not here by accident, by chance, by coincidence. Uh, We're here right now in this moment of eternity, focusing on your word. And these verses are pertinent to us. They're hard, but they're pertinent. So I pray for the gift of teaching. And Father, that you would be glorified through these verses this morning. That you would do a work in our lives. Lord, help us to be comfortable, but yet not so comfortable that we're lackadaisical. That we're lazy. That we're complacent. Lord, we don't need to do that. We don't need to be that way. We don't want to be as the church in Ephesus. The Lord commended them for their works, but they had left their first love. Father, we need those embers stoked. We need your Holy Spirit to fan the flames. That we'd be on fire for you in 2018, more so than we were in 2017. Again, that we just wouldn't feel like we've plateaued and... And we're just going to sit here and wait. No, no, no. We need to move on. So Father, even right now, I pray that you would encourage the brokenhearted, that you would strengthen the weak. For we know, as we're going to see in your word this morning, you never leave us, you never forsake us. And you have a plan behind all things. So bless this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, in Psalm 51, it says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan, the prophet, went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. And David here is once again going to pick up the pen and author many of the following scriptures over the next few weeks and, and actually probably the next few months that we're going to read again. But before we do that, I know most of you know the story But this is one of the few psalms that we know exactly what it applies to. But let's reread the story in 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. And then we'll turn to the psalm. And it'll be fresh in our mind. It happened in the spring of the year... At the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he laid with her, 
for she was cleansed from her purity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink? And lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Sent Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was when Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Rubaseth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thimbes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead. And your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So he encouraged him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. 
And she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he did and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversaries, adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, The child also is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day... It came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? What may he, he may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? 
And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you rose and ate food. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So as we read this psalm here, what do we hear being sung, or what will we hear being sung in this psalm? Normal people making poor choices. Sin, repentance, forgiveness, and restoration. So you see why this psalm fits our final study for the year. You see, we are normal people who can make poor choices, and it's called sin. The world tries to call it something else, but it's, it's called sin. And when we do that, we need to repent. Again, the world will try to say something else, but the word is repent. We need to repent so that we might be forgiven. And with forgiveness comes the restoration that we all desire to have with God as well as with others. So as we read this psalm, let's see how the, we can apply these principles into our lives in 2018. Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2. Have per- mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. As we read, David was in his older years because he had Israel and he had Judah. He didn't have all of Israel until seven and a half years into his reign. So David is in at least his 40s when this situation happened, if not older. You want to keep that in mind. Because David understood the mercy of God. You see, he had many personal experiences to draw from, yet for some reason, for some reason, he momentarily forsook the ways of the Lord and gave in to the lust of the flesh. And now roughly a year later, his sin is brought to the surface and David repents and asks for forgiveness. Not only does he ask for forgiveness, he asks God to blot out to blot out. And those words, those two words, to blot out, it means to stroke or rub, to erase. David didn't have the New Testament, guys. Much of the Old Testament was written after David. So David only had the first five books of the Bible. David is being inspired to write the Bible even now in his life. We have the whole Bible praise God, that we can read from Genesis to Revelation and understand this principle. David didn't understand it, but he's pleading with God, blot out, 
to stroke or rub to erase my transgression. And when you look up the word transgression there in the Hebrew, it's revolt. Revolt. I'm revolting against you. I'm revolting against your word. And as believers, we need to make sure that we understand that. So that we don't allow sin to come into our lives and it's just a subtle little thing and it's not a big deal. No, it's an open revolt against God. No one else may see it. No one else may know about it. But it's an open revolt against God. You see, transgression has the idea of crossing a boundary. Today we would say, you know, you've crossed that line now. Iniquity has the idea of twisted or perversion. Sin has the idea of falling short or missing the mark. You see, David is very expressive of what is taking place in his life and is crying out for God's loving kindness and tender mercies. Notice that, according to your multitude of your tender mercies, according to your loving kindness. So, so what can we learn from these opening verses as we enter into a new year? I see two things. First, to not go to places, view things, listen to, or entertain ideas that will lead us down the path of sin. I think if we look at David's life, and if we look at our lives, and we look at other people's, other Christians that we've heard, their testimonies, it's just not a switch that causes you to commit adultery. There's a subtleness that that creeps into that person's life and subtleness, subtleness, subtleness and all of a sudden the act happens. That act that they never thought would happen or whatever it might be, in this case adultery, but there's many other sins that we could list. It's very subtle. So for 2018, we need to be on guard, we as believers. Secondly, to repent quickly because even though we're on guard, we will sin, we're human beings. But to repent quickly, and obviously repent means to turn from, to repent quickly and acknowledge to God where we have fallen short. You see, as I read these verses, we have to remember that we're looking at the Old Testament economy of God. We have the privilege, as I've already mentioned, of having the whole word of God. Where David, those around him, think about this, those around him, those before him, and those to come after him for the next 1,000 years did not. He is going to share things that we do not have to be concerned with in the New Testament economy. Because he says, wash me in verse 2 there. Notice, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. You see, washing was very important. It was a key requirement for the cleansing process of, of sinners. And David obviously knew that. He wanted a new start. He wanted a fresh beginning. But for you and I this morning, we don't need that that physical ceremonial type of washing with water. But we do need to be cleansed by God's word and that's exactly what God will do. He will cleanse our minds. He will cleanse our minds as we confess our sins to him. Romans 12, 2, verse you're all familiar with. And do not be conformed to this world. It's so easy for you and I. And it's so sub- it happens so subtly. But we can find ourselves being shaped. The word conformed there, being shaped, being molded into. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That that constant process. 2017 is over. That doesn't mean your Christian faith has matured and you've arrived. If you think you have, you're wrong. Let me just tell you right now, you're wrong. 
2018 is going to provide new things where it's going to stretch your faith, where you're going to have to grow in your trust of the Lord, where you're going to have to be in the Word even more than maybe you were before, where something might happen to you where you really realize, wow, now I understand what I've been hearing for all these years, that I need to meditate and memorize the Word of God. I've never done it before, but now I need to do it. I would encourage you not to wait to get to that point. Because it will happen. It happens to all of us. But rather, start to do that now. To meditate. To memorize. To read from Genesis to Revelation. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I think this verse sums it up very well for David. Would he have done what he had did if he would have been meditating on the word of God and proving evaluating as he's up on the rooftop of his house, well, I wonder if I should have sex with Bathsheba. If he was meditating on the word of God, instantly the Holy Spirit would have said, I know that's called adultery, not an affair. That's adultery. And the scriptures say, thou shalt not commit adultery. But you see, he got away from the word of God. Momentarily, maybe for months, Maybe even for a few years. We don't know, so we're not going to say. But we do know this. He was not meditating on the word of God. That's quite obvious. And so for you and me, we need to remain meditating on the word of God as we look at Psalm 51. For I acknowledge my transgressions, in verse 3. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, David acknowledges what God had already known. And what's key about these verses is that David didn't play the blame game, which in the last 20 years has become so popular here in America. It's everybody else's fault. It's my parents' fault, my grandparents' fault, my aunt's fault, my uncle's fault, the dog's fault. It's somebody's fault. Don't hold me accountable. It's somebody else's fault. But here we see that David took personal responsibility for his actions by saying against you. Notice what he says here. He doesn't say against Bathsheba, against Uriah, against... No, no. It's against you and you only have I sinned. Is he negating all of those other people? No, he knows he sinned against all those other people. But first and foremost, and this is why I believe the New Testament in Acts 13.22, it says that David was a man after the heart of God. First and foremost, he knew that he sinned against God and God alone. Because if he hadn't done that, then no one else would have been affected by what he had done. And so David took personal accountability and he took it to God. David knew, and we should know as well, that God is just and will judge in righteousness. No one will be able to accuse God of being unfair because his judgments will take everything into account. And when it's all said and done, he will be blameless. Verses 5 and 6, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I have verses 5 and 6 highlighted in my Bible. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Notice that. David acknowledges a sin nature. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. 
And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Wisdom. You see, David is not trying to excuse his sin, but that he recognizes David God's desire for inward transformation. For inward transformation. Now, we all know if David's in his 40s, which is pretty simple to see that he is, that he's had a lot happen in his life. And he has had a lot of transformation already taking place in his life. But this is why I encourage you and myself on a regular basis, do not stop. You're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, do not stop the spiritual transformation that needs to take place. Because no one has arrived. When you die, you've arrived. Until then, you haven't arrived. That's called pride. Get over it and get into the Word and allow the Holy Spirit to keep transforming your life. You see, it's the secret place of the heart that God will ultimately reveal Himself. And when He reveals the wickedness of our own hearts, He will also give us more of the Holy Spirit, more wisdom, more wisdom, so that we might overcome that wickedness. Notice what it says there. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. We know that is the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 through 9, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Now, hyssop here is a shrub with hairy stems that would be dipped into the ceremonial cleansing water that was sprinkled by the priest on those who were unclean. If that's all foreign to you, then you need to start in Genesis and read through your Bible so it doesn't become foreign, so that you're able to go, oh yeah, I, I, I don't quite rem- I remember something about that. And as you read it every year and every year and every year, then it becomes more practical, more applicable, and you go, oh yeah, I, I know what hyssop is. You see, David understood the joy found within the pages of God's word. The truth was within those verses, and David needed the healing process to take place. Because healing can only come through the word of God, inner healing. Again, the plea for God to hide David's sin. Because David's heart was broken over what he allowed himself to do, and he's expressing that deep sorrow. Sorrow that I'm sure most of us in this room can identify with. But you know, thank God for inspiring real people to write down their personal circumstances. Thank God. So that we might learn to avoid such pitfalls. Again, as we read the whole counsel of God, it will keep us safe. It will keep us from doing these things. Psalm 51 verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Only God can create a new heart. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. We've got quite a few scriptures here, so get ready and let's thump quickly. If you don't have a Bible, pick one up, follow along. Matt made reference to this at the beginning of the music time. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So does that mean that you're now a saint, which you are, but that you're never ever going to sin again because everything's new? No. That now means in your relationship with God, everything is new and he now sees you as a saint. 
holy, unblameable, unreprovable. All of your sins have been blotted out as David is praying for. All of your sins in heaven have been blotted out. They're erased. There's no record of them. And so when you die and stand before God, you're not going to hear anything about your sins because there are no sins in heaven. There's nothing recorded. But unfortunately, on this side of heaven, we know we still sin. But we need to understand old things have passed away. So now I have the Holy Spirit within me. I can overcome those old things. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So for you and me, as we go into 2018, as believers, as Christians, this is one of our main roles, to help reconcile people. Because we deal on a regular basis with people that are committing adultery, that are gambling, that are doing drugs, that are wasting money, wasting time, and we have the opportunity to say to them, hey, God loves you, and he desires something more for you. We are the ministers of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let's look at John chapter 14. Because fortunately, God never takes away his Holy Spirit from his children. Again, the Old Testament economy, you'll read as you as you do read it, that the Holy Spirit came upon Saul, the Holy Spirit was lifted off of Saul. The Spirit came upon Saul, lifted off Saul. That's why David prays here, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because he saw that happening in the life of Saul. New Testament economy, well, let's see what happens. John chapter 14. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be in you, and will be in you. As you read the verses before and after, you know that specifically the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. And again, I encourage you to write these scriptures down, because I know often, over our years of discipling, that people will come in, and they'll think that they've committed the unpardonable sin. Or that they're committing some type of sin and that God doesn't love me anymore and he's probably taken his Holy Spirit away from me. Old Testament economy, New Testament economy, you want to read all of it, Genesis to Revelation, so you understand the difference. Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. About Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30. And again, in early Calvary Chapel, uh, they they created a song, and in, in one part of the song, it actually says, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I refused to sing that song after I matured in the Lord a little bit because it, it can't, it won't happen. It'll never happen. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So we don't lose the Holy Spirit, but we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And then in Corinthians and in Romans, we can also quench the Holy Spirit. But let's wrap it up with Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And as you're turning there, I'm going to read it again. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So as we as saints, as we do sin, unfortunately, and you feel that heaviness, it's, it's not guilt, 
That's conviction. And that conviction will lead us to repentance, which will lead us to reconciliation, which will lead us to restoration. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Notice that. When you receive Jesus, if you're here today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior, at the end of the service, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you invite Jesus into your heart to receive him as your Savior, you are now redeemed. You're purchased. You're his. You're his son. You're his daughter. When you die, he's going to then take home his possession. But until then, you are sealed. So what I'll often say to people, what I'll always say to people, is, well, next time you take a bath or a shower, do this for me. Find the seal. And when you find the seal, rip it off and bring it into me. And then we'll know that you're not saved anymore. And obviously, they know, well, that's not going to happen. Exactly. You've been sealed. The scriptures say you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee. God guarantees you that you're not going to lose your salvation if you are truly saved. He guarantees you you're not going to lose. But he also guarantees that you can grieve the Holy Spirit and that we can also reap what we sow, Galatians tells us. So in no way is this in in any relation with, well, we're going to be forgiven, so let's just go out and sin anyways. As Paul says, God forbid. There's no endorsement in this study at all for going out and sinning because you're saved and sealed. That's immature, but people will accuse Calvary Chapel of doing that. That's immaturity to even accuse us of that. Because because nobody does that. That's, That's ridiculous. But we are guaranteed of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So back in Psalm 51. So again, as you read verses, they can, they can go, well, wait a minute. Can I lose the Holy Spirit and take not your Holy Spirit from me? You want to go back to the Old Testament economy, read the scriptures and realize, oh, okay, the Holy Spirit did come on and left, on and left. Okay. New Testament? No. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice capital S. So David understood there was a Holy Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted to you. You see, God can use our mistakes. That's what those verses are saying. Our poor choices for his glory. And only he could do such a thing. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. Not southern comfort. He's the God of all comfort. But where do we turn to? We turn to careers or hobbies or drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be to find our comfort instead of turning wholeheartedly to God. Who goes on to say, who comforts us in all our tribulation. But if we don't turn to him, how can he comfort us? And I know as humans, we have trials and tribulations. You've been with us. You know what we have gone through with Claudia's cancer. And there was, there was, there was distress. There was all kinds of human emotions. 
It lasted more than a day. But we got back to the truth. And we keep going back to the truth. And we keep going back to the one who can literally comfort us. Because, you know, I couldn't comfort Claudia. I mean, I could comfort her to a certain degree. But I'm limited. I'm, I'm not human. I'm a knucklehead. So I can only do so much. But if she continued to go back to God and go back to God and go back to God and cry and wept and, and got it out in those expressions, those emotions, she received the comfort of God. And yes, I was a part of that process. And so were all of you were a part of that process. We need humans to be a part of that process, but it ultimately goes down to my own personal walk with God, finding that comfort. Why? that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as we go through that process, I know that can sound confusing, so here it is. As we go through a process and allow the Holy Spirit to comfort us, we then have our faith built up, we, we get verses, we get understanding of the Scriptures better, And then we get ourselves going again in the right direction. And then someone crosses our path eventually that has the exact same situation. It's amazing. It'll be the exact same situation. And bing! Oh, you know, years ago, that happened to me in my life. And they look at you like, yeah, you're just shining me on. You're just trying to, you know, pat me on the head type thing. But then they look at you and they look in your eyes and they see... You did, didn't you? you? You went through that. You know, for Claudia and I doing marriage discipling, we've seen this over and over and over again with couples that come in and tell us what they're doing. And we share our first two years of marriage. And they just look at us like, really? You, you did that? You, houred for three, you argued for three, four, five hours? You did stuff like that? Yeah. Because we weren't looking at God. We were looking at each other. And so as you go through things, you you need to realize that God will use that. He's building a testimony, and you will be able to comfort someone else if you allow him to comfort you. That's the key. And that's not always easy. I'm not saying it's always easy, but that is the key. We have to keep going back to God and just go, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to let you comfort me because you do understand. And I'm going to continue to trust in you. Hebrews 12, 11 through 13 Hebrews 12, 11 through 13. Now no chastening, no disciplining seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down in the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. So again, as we as we have an issue with maybe sin, now again, this doesn't apply to everything, obviously, but as we have specifically an issue like sin, like David did, get back focused on God, find strength in the Lord, find strength in the Word of God, and in 2018, let's allow God to use our mistakes for His glory. Let's allow God to use our mistakes. Now, again, this doesn't mean we should go out and make mistakes. You know, if you're young in the Lord, sometimes we we hear these testimonies and they're really bragamonies. Well, I did this and I did this and I did this. And you think in your, you know, in your mind, well, I really don't want to do drugs and I really don't want to become an alcoholic and I really don't want to go to prison, but it sounds like I need to do that to have a testimony. No, no, you don't. You don't need to do any of that. Stay focused on the Lord. Keep walking that path. And that is your testimony. 
that will be a blessing to so many people. But unfortunately, in Christianity, sometimes we can get that idea. But as we do make mistakes in 2018, which we will, let's turn to God quickly, repent, and allow Him to use it for His glory. Back in Psalm 51, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. Notice, David realized he committed murder. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You see, God delights in repentant hearts. And that is what the Holy Spirit is always calling people to. Unbelievers as well as believer. Before you became a believer, God was calling you to repent. You repented. You received Jesus as your Savior. And then you came to understand what repentance actually was. But that's what you did. You repented. So the Holy Spirit is calling believers and unbelievers to repentance. It's not about religious practices, as David mentions here, but rather a heart that is humble before God, before the God of the universe. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and I'm going to read James 4.10, which you're familiar with, but let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. David humbled himself. He didn't try to justify himself. Well, she was out on the rooftop bathing. It wasn't my fault. He didn't try to justify himself. He humbled himself. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and that He may exalt you in due time. Notice that He may. He will. Casting all your anxieties upon Him. That's what that word care is, your anxieties. For He cares, and that word cares there is literally cares. For He cares for you. And then Matthew twenty three eleven says this, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servants. And this is something we don't like to do. But this is something that I stress the, the staff to do. And I encourage everyone here this morning, as a Christian, you are a servant. You are a slave of the Most High God. <clears throat> but he who is greatest among you shall be your servants. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is our prime example of that. Back in Psalm 51, 18 and 19, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Interesting. The Jews were never in Israel. They never were on the Temple Mount. There was no place called Jerusalem. David was living 1000 BC, guys. And what does he say? Do good, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Zion is Mount Zion. It's a whole area in Jerusalem. And notice, build the walls of Jerusalem. Again, as the world debates whether Israel should have Jerusalem as its capital. It's in the scriptures. It's clearly the capital of Jerusalem. 
Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David's prayer was to take away the reproach that he had brought upon the nation. Again, in 2 Samuel twelve fourteen, Nathan says, However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also is born to you shall surely die. We have to be on guard even in our own lives. This is a very applicable, it's very practical, it's not just for the pastorate. It's for every Bible-believing Christian on the face of this earth. Be careful. Be careful how we live in 2018 because others are watching. How about Titus chapter 2? And we'll wrap it up with these verses. How can we apply this to our lives this year in 2018? Titus 2, 1, 8 gives us, and there's many, many verses. I just picked these out. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Again, we have to live in sound doctrine. Not the doctrine that's flying through various churches, but living in sound doctrine. Well, how do I know what sound doctrine is? By reading from Genesis to Revelation in 2018. The whole counsel of God. Why? That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. There's a good little test for you older guys. Let's say 35 years old plus. There's a good little test for you. You might want to meditate on this week. You know, am I sober? And even look up these words. Am I reverent? Am I temperate? Am I sound in the faith, in love and in patience? The older women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Very interesting scriptures, but again, if you read the whole counsel of God, they make perfect sense. But again, for you ladies, there's maybe a good little test that you might want to look at this week. And just ask yourself, am I these things? Am I, are these things happening in my life? Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine. Again, notice, doctrine is vital. There's, there's several churches out there today, even under the banner of Christianity, that are saying, you know what, let's get away from doctrine. Doctrine is divisive. <laughs> no, doctrine leads us into all truth. And the reason that doctrine is divisive is because I don't like that doctrine, so it causes problems in my life, so it's divisive. No, no. <laughs> no, it's the Word of God. You got the problem, I have the problem, not the Word of God. So even when you hear other Christian churches saying, well, you know what, let's just lay aside doctrine. It's foolishness. We should never lay aside doctrine. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who has an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. And you as a believer have an opponent. They work next to you. They live next to you. They're maybe probably in your family members. They don't like you because you're a Christian and you don't think that same-sex marriage is good. You don't think that it's good that couples live together outside of marriage and are having sex outside of marriage. They have issues with you because of that. You're taking a stand against drugs and marijuana, recreational marijuana. They're saying, well, 
well, what's wrong with you? This is 2018. It's a herb. It's good for healing. It'll make you feel better. That's not scientifically at all. There's nothing scientific that says marijuana cures. Nothing. Not one single thing. It's a lie from the pit of hell. But it can creep into the church and we become complacent and complying with the world because we don't want to offend anybody. Hey, in 2018, let's offend somebody. In love. You know, in love. Again, in love. Because the scriptures say, speak the truth in love. So I'm not saying go out and be a weirdo and wacko and beat people up with your Bible. Not at all. But let's offend somebody. And take a stand. And maybe take some heat. So that our faith gets built up. For taking a stand in righteousness. Not being a wimp. And, and just crawling away from the conversation. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to cause any problems. Cause some problems. Love somebody. You see, this is a great psalm to end the year with and a great psalm to start off the new year with as well. Last thought, focus on the ways of God in 2018. I really encourage all of us to do this. And it will be a year of maturing in the Lord. You want to grow in the Lord? I think every Christian, if I asked every Christian individually that question, every Christian would say, no, I don't want to. Every Christian is going to say, yes, yes, I'd like to do that. So the answer is kind of obvious. So what do we do? How do we do that? Read from Genesis to Revelation. Have a prayer time. Come out to a Wednesday night Bible study instead of just Sunday morning. Have your own private devotionals every morning. Come out to a men's Bible study, a woman's Bible study. Come out to a marriage enrichment. Come out to young adults. In other words, get more involved in 2018 that you would grow, you would mature. And maybe those things that you've gone through God could use you because you might just be in the room when somebody else starts to weep or cry or express something. And because you're there afterwards or right at that moment, you can say, I went through that 10 years ago. I went through that 30 years ago. I went through that last week. And I just want to encourage you with this verse. But if you're not there, how can God use you? You see, this is called participation with the body of Christ. We all need one another. Is it going to get easier in 2018? Is Trump saving us? It's not going to get easier, guys. Just realize that. It's not going to get easier. So if you think you can do it on your own, let me warn you right now, you can't. You can't. We need one another. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the life of David. That he wasn't some immature Christian who made a poor choice. No, he was, he was grown. He was older. He was mature in the faith. But for whatever reason, he got away from the word of God. And so, Lord, that can happen in all of our lives. So, Father, we just ask for more of your Holy Spirit even right now. If, if we find ourselves in that place right now, Father, as believers... We want to repent right now. We just want to say we're sorry. And even proclaim as David proclaimed against you and you only have I sinned. Because 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful, you're just, you will cleanse us and you will make it right. So Father, we just, we, we just repent even right now and and say we're sorry. And, and lay our hands, lay our, 
our, our lives back into your hands and say, your will be done with my life, How, whatever that means. Again, we just know you're going to work it for the good. Even though we don't understand, we know. So we're going to trust on the facts of your word. And as the saints are praying, if you're with us this morning and you do not have Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior. Just pray this simple prayer. God, I need Jesus. I don't want to go through another year without him. I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. So I receive your Son right now to be my Savior. I receive your Holy Spirit right now. I don't know what that all means. But I trust, as I've just heard, that you will show me. So I thank you for receiving me. And that I am now your son. I am now your daughter. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we do thank you for this coming year. We have no idea what it holds, but we do know it's going to hold births and death. It's going to hold struggles. It's going to hold joys. It's going to hold victories. It's going to hold defeats. That's just reality. And Father, we thank you and praise you that we also know who holds the future. That we are in your hands. And that you'll never let us go. You'll never drop us. You'll never kick us to the curb. But you will always hold us. Help us to surrender and allow you to hold us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we all stand, guys. God bless. Be safe tonight, New Year's Eve. Have a blessed week. We have Wednesday night service. Darrell is moving on with the book of Hebrews. So we encourage you to come out Wednesday night. And again, on the 8th, January 8th, women's Bible study will start up. And then men's on the 15th. A lot of things going on. Check out the bulletin. Get involved, guys. Have a blessed, blessed week. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness with all and with reverence bow to adore you are my Lord you are my holiness Jesus my righteousness I worship you Lord worship the Lord the beauty of holiness I'll end with reverence Bow to the door You are my Lord You are my holiness Jesus my righteousness I worship you Lord I'm living for your glory I'm living for the name Above our names no one else is worthy No one else can ever take your place I'm living for your glory I'm living for the name above our names No one else is Take
the name above our names. No one else is worthy. No one else can ever take your place.